welcome to Debating Metal and a belated Merry Christmas to everyone. Thank you for checking out today's episode. My name is Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and my co-host is Chris Kay. For today's final episode of the year, we're taking you back to a time when music was sleazy, it was sexual, satanic, and made you do things your mother warned you not to do. No, we're not taking you back to last week. We're taking you all the way back to 1985 and revisiting the PMRC's Filthy 15. 37 years ago, the original Karens, Tipper Gore, Susan Baker, Sally Nevius, and Pam Hauer, a group of Washington, D.C. wives, formed the PMRC, or Parents Music Resource Center. They famously made a list that basically became every rebellious kid's playlist, 15 songs that they deemed were the most offensive songs of that time. The list included some of music's biggest stars and some cult underground acts that we'll talk about today. Their objective was for music albums to be rated in a similar way to that of Hollywood films. X for profane or sexually explicit, V for violent, O for occult references, and DA or D slash A for drugs or alcohol related lyrics. In the end, it was just S for stupid. Bowing down to pressure from Washington, the Record Industry Association of America, better known as the RIAA, convinced record labels to affix a sticker on potentially offensive albums, and the sticker read, parental advisory, explicit lyrics. Wow, what a mess this turned into at the time. Uh, I, I lived through it. So I was there. I wasn't in Washington, but I was there. You were, you were not. no but i definitely felt the effects of it because anything that had a parental advisory uh explicit lyrics label was deemed cool and everyone wanted that it didn't matter nobody wanted the version that was the clean lyrics or whatever um it was like a, a badge of honor to have albums with that that sticker on it and so it was the complete opposite effect of what the pm pmrc wanted and it was great (laughs) <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I remember when it was all going down and, you know, like Motley Crue's album, Shout of the Devil, they put, it wasn't even a, a sticker like they, they put on albums now, the black and white sticker. It was just like a little round or oval, kind of like a racetrack oval, and it said uh, warning parental advisory or something like that. It didn't even say anything like bad lyrics, you know, and it's it's like... And it was the same color as the album stuff. You know, I was like, this is really weird. Like, this this label doesn't do anything, first of all. Um, you know, I'm at the time, 1985, I'm 16 years old, and I'm thinking that this is just a freaking mess that's going on right now. But slowly, you know, in 86 and 87, you began to see these this, the, the black and white label show up, especially in 1987. That's, I think, really where it took off. And now, all of a sudden you're you're putting this big bold black and white sticker and and like you said it became a badge of honor to find that and get that album or in 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 the case of a lot of high schoolers you know it was one of those things where you had to get your parents permission to buy you know when i was working at the record store in miami like like rap records that had that we if you looked like you were under 16 or 18 something like where's your mom is your mom here? Because we need to give you know we need to get her permission to sell this to you. We were not allowed to sell to anyone. I don't know if it was sixteen or eighteen, and that's just, it was just crazy. And and this is a f- probably six seven years after this whole thing started. So it was a weird weird experience going through that. 
But at the same time, I loved it all because, hey, that just meant, oh, this one must be really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I just remember even kids wearing uh, parental advisory explicit content shirts to school, like when I was in middle school, high school. So it was just, it was cool. And it was, it was the thing. I, I, I just, I'm so amused. And I know we're going to talk about it with, you know, some of the different songs and, and the people that, that testified in the hearings. Um, but I, I just really found it so funny that it was pretty much the opposite effect of what they wanted. So good. <laughs> yeah. I actually have a parental advisory sticker on my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a shirt like that back in the day too. Um, I, I, I had it more for college. So when I was, in, I, I don't know if I got it my senior year of high school and wore it mostly in college or what. I can't remember, but I do remember having that shirt. Um, and I liked it. And I don't know what happened to it. But anyway, um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to go over the 15 songs. Now, um, as most of you may or may not know, not all of them are metal songs. So we're going to glaze over. Uh, as quickly as possible, the the non-metal songs, and then you know, kind of dive in a little more into the songs that we know about. Um, but we are going to reference and talk about each song as they come along. So, um, I think you went first last week, so I go. I'll go first this week. All right. I I mean, I, for this, as far as like the pop songs, I think we just kind of lump them into a group and kind of chat about them i guess oh we could i um the two that stand out the most to me are going to be prince and madonna because they're, they're the biggest names mm-hmm. um so I, I have a little bit more to say about them but we can talk about you know vanity with strap on robbie baby and you know cindy lopper with shebop and sheena easton with sugar walls and what's the other one mary jane girls within my house i don't understand I mean, I, I do. You listen, you, you look at the words and you, you understand why they were up in arms, I guess, like that. But the, the funny thing about it is, is that one of the people, one of the artists that got picked on during this time period was Dionne Warwick. Now, yeah. for all the people who know Dionne Warwick, I mean, she's an R&B singer. Um, she's f- super famous for, for, you know, being really, really good singer doing some really good music during her heyday. But let's be honest, the the songs, while the, the lyrics were not offensive, the lyrics themselves were direct and to the point. We're going to make love. Whatever the fuck it said. <laughs> it's just, it was straight up, hey, you and me, we're going to bump uglies tonight. Okay. And that, and that was the way, you know, but she had a way of saying it. Tom Jones, you know, all those, all those singers that, that did love songs. What do you think they were? What do you think love songs are people, you know? And that's, but it wasn't so, um, graphic in nature, I guess. No, and that's, that's what would. But even Dion Warwick, even not being graphic, got picked on, and one of her songs ended up like on the second fifteen or something like that. Yeah, and it's just like, what you know? It, it was that's how dumb it was, and it's, you know, she bop from from Cindy Lauper and Strap on Robbie Baby from Vanity and Sheena Easton Sugar Walls. Those are kind of obvious. I mean, the 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 the, the, the titles kind of lend itself to kind of understanding what's going to happen or what's 
going on in the song. I get that. I mean, yes, and, and several of them were about masturbation. So I mean, it was it was a little bit explicit, not a hundred percent. I would say, obviously, today's lyrics are much worse. You have songs like WAP, you know, that yeah. <laughs> just eclipse this. But I mean, like. Cindy Lauper, yeah, she's obviously not metal, but she was associated with things like wrestling, um, you know, that, that kind of, not necessarily counterculture because wrestling was more mainstream at that time, um, but, you know, more of the rowdy kind of stuff. And he has songs like Sugar Walls. I mean, I would directly compare that to WAP, you know. It's, it, but it's you see, like, but the difference is Sugar Walls is a nice way to say it. Much, much nicer. And that's why I'm saying compare them. Right. Because it's it's funny how they got upset about this. I can't even... I, she probably had a stroke when she heard WAP. <laughs> so one of those chicks had a freaking stroke, I tell you. Oh, that. yeah. Now, um, now, when you get into you know Prince and Madonna, you know, these at the time, uh, Prince, when this song Darling Nikki came out, they, that was on the soundtrack for Purple Rain. That put, I mean, Prince was already famous at that point. And he was a pretty big star, but he wasn't as big as he was after Purple Rain came out. And, you know, I remember hearing this song because I, I have the soundtrack. Uh, I have the album on vinyl, the original release type of pressing and stuff like that. And, and this song's on there. And it was one of those like, it's it's got this really interesting groove to it, very slow, and all of a sudden, you know, I I knew a girl named Nikki. Was it I knew a girl named Nikki? I could, I guess you could say she. Oh yeah, I guess you could say she was a sex fiend, right? And and it goes on from there, and and when I heard you know uh, that he caught her masturbating with a magazine, I'm like, wow, that's the first time I've heard that. You know, I'm like, this is, and, and I didn't think of it as a, oh, this is going to get banned kind of thing. But at the same time, I was like, well, this is never getting on the radio. That was my, one of my first thoughts, but it was a cool song. And there were other songs on the album that I knew were going to be radio hits. So it was one of those things where you kind of kept it, that song. Cause if you knew that your parents were not going to like it, you kept that song quiet. So it's funny that they, they would end up picking this song. Um, and putting it on the list because, you know, for, for the one lyric, it's kind of obvious. And, and even I kind of had that hesitation about listening to it out loud when certain people were around. So it's interesting how that worked out. Yeah, I probably would not have listened to that with my parents. Um, <laughs> no. But, yeah. Um, so Madonna, I mean, I, I've i never been a fan. I kind of missed that whole boat. Um, but... Uh, you know, obviously she was a huge star and still is, but, but, uh, you know, she, the, my most, I, I guess, um, experience with seeing her was, was in like the early, I mean, I guess late eighties, early nineties when she was kind of on like Saturday night live appearances and with, with Wayne's world that, um, I, I kind of associated her with hard rock music in that way where yeah her music wasn't hard rock at all but she was kind of uh in that same culture i guess because of her explicit pictures her her 
um, image, etc. So, I mean, the dress you up song, like a virgin, all that, all that stuff. Like it was just all about, you know, her sexuality. And I can see why that would upset, uh, these PM, PMRC ladies. What was funny about dress you up. That was like, I mean, it wasn't as huge a hit as some of the other songs that she's had, but it was a, it was a mainstream hit mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a catchy tune. You know, but it's it's funny because you know you you mentioned how she was you know she was rock and roll you know rock and roll being the counterculture right and her counterculture was so counter that it literally came back around and became the culture yeah that, that's the way you know that's the kind of influence that she had and you know I never got on the Madonna boat okay I wasn't even I didn't buy a ticket I didn't do anything you know and I remember when I was moving to uh, Miami. And uh, some friends of mine knew that I was m- moving, and I was, you know, they, I don't know if I, I showed up at their house and I'm listening to a metal song on my in my car, and the guy comes up to me, he's like, "Dude, you got to stop listening to that stuff. You need to start listening to like Madonna, and Michael Jackson." I'm like, "For what?" He goes, "He goes, if you expect to get any chicks, you got to listen to that kind of music. Otherwise, you're not going to get anything." I'm like, "Yeah, uh, I'll stick to what I listen to, and I'll get whatever I get, you know." <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm not listening to Madonna. No way. No, thank you. I'm good. You know, and this and this this guy who's telling me this is this is this um is this chubby tall black dude. <laughs> and he's get, and he's telling me this, and I'm like, seriously, man, are you really telling me this? Because there's just no way that I am gonna ever listen to Michael Jackson and Madonna on a, any sort of regular basis so I can get a chick. No, it's just not happening. <laughs> But anyway. it worked for some people, but you know, it's, <laughs> it works for some, right? I just I have a little bit more integrity. Than that. <laughs> um, so, Mary Jane Girls. I don't really know this song. Um, you know, it's it's one of those. Did you have any experience with that? Um, I'm pretty sure it played in the background of someplace I was at, but no, <laughs> I, I I I don't know much about the Mary Jane Girls. Uh, or their song. I think that's probably enough said about the the pop songs on this list. Right, so. <laughs> exactly. So that's the end of the pop section. <laughs> Good deal. Um, so how about um, let's go into one you don't like very much uh, from probably your favorite ACDC album, uh, Let Me Put My Love Into You. <laughs> All right. So um, as I mentioned in the intro, all the songs had a rating uh, or they were trying to get them rated, you know? So um, a lot of the songs we talked about were rated X for sexually explicit or profane lyrics. Um, This one was in that list. Uh, Let me put my love into you. Um, Okay. Not profane because there's no foul language, right? So that's the definition of profanity, right? Um, Sexually explicit. It's one of those those jokes that you sit there and say, get your mind out of the gutter. Because where is your mind if you immediately see a lyric and you say, oh, well, you know, you know, let me put my love into you. Yeah, we know what that's about. Yeah, because our mind's in the gutter to begin with. But, you know, um, it, it's, it's not obvious. And it's not one of these things that just kind of like, you know, it play, it's not. First of all, it's the 10th song on the album. Right or the fifth? No, no. I'm sorry. It was the fifth song on the album because I was. I was going to say it's two. earlier than ten. Yeah. No, it's just. It's, I always think that back the the side that starts with um, 
Back in Black was side one, but it's actually side two. So let me put my living to use the fifth song in the album. It's right there in the middle, but it, it's it, it's not a hit. It is probably the deepest track on the album. Okay, so for these people to sit there and, and go to, to the end of a, of a side of a record or a tape, one or the other, and sit there and say, oh, we've just got past Hell's Bells, given the dog a bone, <laughs> what do you do for money, honey? I mean, tell me, you know, given the dog a bone, well, what do you do for money, honey? Tell me they're not more explicit than, than let me put my love into you. No, nah, I, I guarantee you those ladies were listening to it and they're like, oh, it's a nice song about giving a dog a bone. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so that he right there just tells me how stupid they are. Okay, and then if you flip the record over, the song that's blatantly obvious about drugs and alcohol, have a drink on me. Oh, okay, you know, or shake shake a leg. Jesus Christ. You know, it's like, come on, how many, how much more can the rest of the album be more explicit than let me put my love into you just because it's your love into you that, you know, so you kind of have an idea of what's going on there. By picking that song, it showed how ignorant they were about the rest of the album. It, it made no sense to me, and it was you couldn't take the PMR seri- the PMRC seriously because of things like that. Uh, for sure, I mean, <laughs> but they had to pick a song off of it. I guess they just picked what they felt was the most explicit. I just think it's silly. Well, they didn't have to. I mean, there was probably more explicit songs on Highway to Hell. I mean, think Highway to Hell. They could have picked that song. True. They could have picked Go Down from, from Let There Be Rock. They could have probably picked most, uh, most ACDC songs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let, you know, that, that's what makes no sense. You know, they could have picked Big Balls from Dirty Deeds. I mean, that would... Oof, come on. I, I, I Again, just, they probably just thought it was about, you know, like some bouncy big, balls. Big parties, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was your, what's your thoughts on the ACDC thing? I mean, pretty much the same. Like, you know, it pick any ACDC song. They just picked one that sounded the dirtiest, I guess. You know, there's there's probably a couple that were contenders for the same thing, but uh, maybe just because those specific lyrics, uh, you know, or the song title sounds it sounds dirty. Let's be honest. <laughs> but that's fine. You know, so they just picked what they they thought, or maybe the first song they they pointed to on the back of the album. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, imagine, I, you know, it almost sounds like they just threw a dart and said, "Well, which one of these ten songs are we going to pick?" Yeah, essentially. All right, so what do you what are you going to pick now? Um, I mean, let's talk about Def Leppard, High and Dry. Um, not exactly the song that I would think would trigger them, but. Uh, I guess, you know, lines like, I got my whiskey, I got my wine, I got my woman. Like, how is that even that bad? Let me put my love into you, babe. <laughs> I I just, I, I don't understand how high and dry is that bad. It's not. And that that's the whole reason. Like, Def, Def Leppard, just, I mean, these bands, these artists, just for the most part, all ignored what was going on except for a couple, and we're going to talk about one a little bit later. It's it's just, it made no sense. And that's that was the biggest thing, because people like, oh, yeah, this song, that song. No, it made no sense. Um, 
I mean, shit, I like that album. That's that's my favorite Def Leppard album. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we've discussed it before, didn't we? Did, we did a head to head on it. Yep. So, of of all the songs on the list, this to me merits being on the list one of the least. I just I don't understand. Like, if you're gonna pick explicitly con uh, ex- explicit content, or you're gonna ex- uh, pick sexual content or whatever. Just saying I've got my whiskey and I got my wine is not that bad. Like, yeah, drug and alcohol references, I guess, is what they were targeting on that one. And they're like kids. They don't want kids to think it's cool or something like that. Well, you know, again, that's really up to parenting. But I. I Whiskey in the gyro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just it was one thing after another. It just made less and less sense. Uh, I mean, I guess that transitions well into um, Black Sabbath with Trashed. You know, again, another song about alcohol, specifically about a car crash. Um, you know, his own car crash. His own car crash. <laughs> it's from an era of Black Sabbath <laughs> that I personally like. I think I think in hindsight, a lot of people do like that album. Um, I think it's a really awesome song but i never like as somebody that was listening to it especially around the time i started driving i didn't think oh that's really awesome i want to go crash my car like what did what, where, what was the thought process that these people had that's that's another thing that you know to this day you really can't sit there and decipher what what was it that they were trying to accomplish i mean obviously yes you they're trying to to protect the children they're trying to uh keep them safe from harmful lyrics that's going to melt their ears and you know it's going to sink into their hearts and turn them evil and it's dude the the funny thing about that is is that you know as a parent now you know, I try to I try to sit there and say, okay, what what should I should I not tell my kids? You know what? I remember I was eight years old, and that's when I started to learn how to curse and say fuck and fuck you and you know motherfucker and all that shit. And a lot of variation there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it, it's like, but I'm not gonna go home and sit there and say, you know, what's up, mom? Fuck you. You know, <laughs> you're not gonna do oh, that. Shit, I- I don't know if I have ever walked again. <laughs> exactly. You know, you get your ass beat for an hour, you know, and and then come up for more. And then, like, uh, they look at you again and they slap you silly. No, you, you weren't going to do that. So the the whole protection thing, is it's fine and fantastic. And it's, it's, in theory, a good idea. But for the most part, we all know that over, being overprotective and overbearing doesn't get you anything other than a lot of rebellion. So that's hundred percent true. Um, I, I don't know what you know. It, I remember listening to the song "Trash," and it, the thing is, what people don't understand is you got to let people have a mind of their own. So, are they really going to see a video with some guys racing and think, "Oh, I'm gonna, I want to go ahead and drink myself into oblivion and crash into a wall"? Mm, probably not but hey you know there are a few loose screws out there you know <laughs> um there's some people that you know and we see them every day on tiktok <laughs> it's just there's some people with some loose screws out there so you know 
you can't save the you can't save everybody from themselves. That's for sure. Oh, well, they can definitely try. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter what you believe somehow people are are pushing their their agendas on everybody else and their their thoughts and you have to live the way i think you live well that was totally against the spirit of of rock and roll and uh, the spirit of metal so i'm i'm glad to be a metalhead um yes, so I am. let's move on to one that let's let's do motley crew with bastard um i mean the album cover has has some really pretty ladies on it um (laughs) (laughs) well well no shout of the devil had the the, this this upside down star on it It has the pentagram the pentagram now they're on the 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 guys are on the back and they don't look so much like ladies (laughs) They, they they're more like they look like um really Bad cosplay Native Americans, okay, with the little <laughs> little stripes under the eyes. It's really, really bad cosplay. I okay? didn't ever th- equate it with Native Americans. I always thought it was like uh, post-apocalyptic football players. Uh, okay, I, I can see that too. Like you know. something out of a Mad Max movie. I never once thought native american but that's interesting because I, I, I well i mean just like just the face when, pads and yeah no but once you look at the whole costume because the, the back of the album is just the four faces yeah so you just see them with the makeup on and and the stripes on their face and stuff like that but when yeah once you see the whole outfit then yeah the the poke the poke the post-apocalyptic <laughs> um <laughs> the post-apocalyptic the post-apocalyptic <laughs> vibe makes more sense yeah it it, my point was though i guess it fooled the women into thinking that like and i mean the women of the prc they see these these four attractive looking you know lady men on there and they're like wow this looks like a nice album let me listen oh my goodness bastard (laughs) of of all the songs on the album bastard yeah sure why not because it's a it's a dirty name um, or a, a bad name, I guess, per se, because it's what a bastard is, is a, a child that doesn't know their father. So, yeah, I, I, I assume they're just they probably took it at surface level for the word and went there. I don't know. There was other songs from Motley Crue they could have picked easily. Well, I mean, the other thing, too, is it was rated V for violent. Um, it had a lot to do with um, the lyrics, you know, um uh, was it out go the lights and go the knife out goes your life, you know, consider yeah. that best or dead or something like that. So, I mean, it is blatantly, uh, violent and, and, you know, there's no two ways about it, but again, it's one of those things. It's a deep track. It's not a single, it's not one that was on the radio. So, you know, you, you're attracted or someone sees the name bastard and okay, now what, what is this? All right, so you are attracted to the title. Now you want to turn it on. Why? What is it that triggered you? You know, what are you looking for? And that's that was the thing. Like a regular person is just going to put it on the album. It's going to listen to the song. Say, oh, you know, it's a it's a catchy little ditty, <laughs> and. <laughs> Yeah. I, just, but, I picture somebody <laughs> like, ooh, this is a catchy little ditty. Bastard. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, 
but you know, they, the PMRC, was, oh, bastard, let's listen to this one. Boom, they go straight to track four on the album, you know, it's like, or three, whatever it may have been at the time. It's like, people don't do that. I kind of wish there was footage of them listening to it and just the, the reactions, <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Now, at the same time, I mean, this is the album that had the, pent- the, 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 the pentagram on the front. Okay, I get it. It kind of you know stands out says hey look at me i got the pentagram on the front you know it worked it it worked but you know what here's the thing two things one if the if the songs suck no one it doesn't matter if it's got freaking a a a set of hanging balls off of it no one's gonna fucking buy it okay two if you don't bring attention to it no one's gonna buy it so they the PMRC brought attention to it, but at the flip side, Molly Crew, it was a good album. So there's those those are the two things that go to it. So if you don't bring attention to it, no one's gonna notice unless it's good. And it was good. You know, regardless of Bastard, it was a good album. You know, it's to me my favorite Molly Crew album. You know, but you know, they they had to point pinpoint one song and make it even that much more popular. Yeah, probably it probably helped that track because it brought attention to it. Not uh, not necessarily one of the best on the album, not not one of the worst either, but but giving it that prestige of being on this list helps it. So, thank you, PMRC. Yep, exactly. Thank you. All right, so now I'm gonna put two songs. I'm gonna lump them both together because they're both rated O for a cult. Okay, uh, and we're talking about. Um, Venom and the song Possessed off of the Possessed album from 1985, as well as Merciful Fates Into the Coven, which was off of their debut album um, that was released two years prior to the PMRC uh, getting involved. So both were O for a cult, which basically means that, you know, they they had a, a cult or satanic references and they didn't want their kids to get possessed by Satan and start listening to all this crazy music and then end up going to a Slayer concert, okay? <laughs> so it, the, the asinine back-ass words thinking that these people had is, is astonishing to me beyond <laughs> i mean think about it. so they only picked one song out of merciful fate and they picked v- possessed from venom mind you did they forget about the entire career of venom up to this point because this is 1985 venom's already five years in and this is their fourth album i think it was you did you did you miss black metal did you miss welcome to hell did you miss at war with satan i mean come on really so you're gonna pick possessed. You know they they must have they must someone must have watched The Exorcist or they must have watched the Amityville Horror or Damien Omen three and or Damien Omen two excuse me and and now oh all these all these things about Satan is they're bad it's it's evil I'm gonna get possessed and I'm, my head's gonna spin backwards and you know I'm gonna spit you know. Bile chunks at a, at a priest. Well, come on. My theory is they saw at war with Satan, and they're like, "Oh, that's nice." You know, they're they're battling <laughs> Satan, and then they they also saw that the track was almost twenty minutes, and they were like, "That's too long to listen to." So, <laughs> <laughs> so they moved on from there. But yeah, I mean, well, they, they should have listened to the one that was on on uh, on Welcome to Hell, which was only the intro, and it was about three minutes long. Yeah. 
I again, it's it's flawed logic, but I get where they're coming from with trying to narrow down and pick one that specifically bothers them. I guess uh, I I don't know. I mean, nowadays, right? You can put something into a search engine and you can look up, or even a, a word search in your your Microsoft Word or whatever, and look up lyrics to try to find something that that bothers you and i'm pretty sure that's what a lot of people do today is just try to find things that bother them um but uh you know some of the lyrics are uh, make love with a dying whore i drink from the vomit of priests you know things like that like i i get where they're coming from but at the same time but like it's not really any different than watching a horror movie and that's what amuses me about uh, like these different things like people can go well i don't i i i I don't see how a movie can affect people, you know, watching people blow up and stuff. And then, and then you see a video game do the same thing and they lose their freaking minds. It's the same thing with music, music. It, it, it bothered them in a way that, you know, watching a, a, a movie like Dracula where a guy is, is, um, uh, what do you call it? Like, um, he didn't possess the girls, but like he, he, um, entrance them to come to the window and you know drink their blood and stuff like that it's not any different it's just in lyrical form and i guess they're they let their imaginations get away with them you know so so i know ne- i never saw dark music as anything different than watching a horror movie and you have a more uh understanding of your your mind and you don't allow things to influence you in that way. I'm the same way, um, you know. But the funny thing is, is that they pick the, the, these two songs. It's you know, like, are you are you forgetting you know? And talking about them, like they're forgetting the fact that you know, like I said, Venom had a career of three other prior albums, right? Merciful Fate, yes, this is their debut album, but there's shit all over, you know. Uh, Satan's Fall, the last song on the album, you know, and but what makes it even stranger, you know, you mentioned it in the intro, these are underground cult bands, okay, if how, first of all, I'm I'm amazed that they found Merciful Fate, okay, (laughs) let's put it that way, because Merciful Fate's not mainstream, Venom is not mainstream, so they're not selling millions of albums. Both of these albums are on independent labels. So you have to get them at an independent record store because you're not going to go to Sam Goody or Camelot in the mall and and wow, I'm showing my my age there <laughs> and and find these albums. You might have a a good like a maybe one of those mall stores that kind of have their own independence from the rest of the chain that has a buyer in store that buys cool stuff like that. You know, sometimes it, the, the, the local, um, the, the people that live there kind of demand those kinds of things, but how I'm, I want to know how they found merciful fate. You know, I can understand venom. I, I guess venom was a little more popular, but merciful fate, you know, they weren't that big. Yeah. <laughs> so it, was, it, it made no sense to me at all. I mean, yeah, it, it, that's kind of an interesting perspective because I, I didn't really think about that as far as the accessibility of some of these, um, especially with a band that comes from, from you know, a different part of the world. Uh, they were 
released in the U.S. though, right? Like they had a- no, they were they were released in the U.S. I mean, um, it it was on Roadrunner Records uh, for for Merciful Fate. Venom, I believe, was on Combat, so they were distributed by Important Records, which is the same people that distributed mm-hmm. uh, um, Megaforce. It, it's just one of those things. You had to go to an independent record store, especially back then in 1985. Okay, it wasn't like you could go to a mall store and sit there and say, hey, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, you could. Yeah. It, most mall stores were not going to carry this. But like I said, it all depended on the population in the area. If you were, if a city, like let's say like Detroit, it, which is known for liking their heavy metal, um, you, you, you cater to your audience. So yes, there may be a, a situation where they, they, purchase more of the independent stuff you know because the the record the buyers at the at at the uh at the at the main office there's always going to be one independent buyer you know who because independent music is obviously there's a lot of good stuff out there so you know but you're not going to flood the market i mean so if you if you walk in in 1985 and i'm not even think i don't even know who's big at that point i don't know if bruce springsteen's born in the usa album came out yet or not but that's a huge album the police are huge at this point right mm-hmm. um so you go into a record store you're going to see a, a shit ton of synchronicity albums you know 30 40 copies but you're only going to find one of merciful fate you're only going to find one of venom's possessed yeah. if you find yeah, it yeah i got you and and so that that's one of those things where it's like you really had to go out of your way to find this. So there so there's one thing I wanted to mention. So there was a quote from uh from King who said the whole thing was just pathetic. We thought they must be really bored to have time for this. <clears throat> Excuse me. We thought they must be really bored to have time for this. How they saw those songs and said more about them than it did about us. And I, I really found that to be pretty topical for the time because i really feel that people are the same way now where they're just bored they're complacent they have they just want to complain for the sake of complaining and they're always looking for something that bothers them and this is a a perfect example of that in that time period these are people that had probably more than their fair share of, of of good fortune and they're going out of their way to make other people miserable like they they want them to be miserable in their lives you know by inf- inflicting their beliefs on other people and it's really common today i mean with cancel culture etc this is just an early form of that they were trying they weren't trying to just put a rating system on this music they were trying to destroy these people's careers uh, just to be 100% honest because without radio play without MTV play, etc. Like they wouldn't have had the influence. They wouldn't have had the the opportunity to be successful, and that's really what bothers me about it. And it and and how relevant it is today. Oh, I I I agree with you completely because I, I'm sitting here. There are times when I get exasperated with the things that I read. And and the the attitude that that is prevailing from all these articles I read, and I sit there and go, am am I going through that? Uh, what would, I can't remember what that that, that time period was called uh, with the satanic oh satanic panic. Am I going through that satanic panic again? Maybe not so much in terms of Satan in general, 
with with the 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 way it was so popular in the 80s all the you know like the damians and the and and the omens and, and amityville horror and nightmare on elm street and all that stuff it was it today it, it's a it's a different kind of panic and i'm you know like what was it last year or in 2020 they were having the book bannings mm-hmm. i mean that shit happened in the 80s book bannings that well and it happened in the 60s so is it, maybe is it it's every 20 something years you know who knows um it's just it's insane to think about how we keep circling the wagon mm-hmm you know, we keep going. You know, we uh, we're we're circling the. I don't even say the wagon. We're circling the mountain because you know why? You can't see through the mountain to see what's on the other side to protect yourself from stupidity. Okay, you just come. You go around the mountain. You come back again. And you say, "Oh, here you know, we're, we're back where we started again." And it's like, duh. Pretty much. You know, I I completely agree with you. It's just this 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 whole. The cancel culture thing, and 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 it's always been, you know, they they, it's funny that the people who speak, so, and it's weird because it's ha- it happens on both sides of the aisle. So we're not gonna we're not gonna you know play politics here, but the people scream the loudest, sitting there saying, oh, you know, you can't do that, you know, free speech, you can't do that, and the same people who are screaming free speech are trying to shut other people down. The other people who don't want to hear the free speech are still doing the same thing and trying to shut. The people down so it's, it's just so it's a weird circle of fucking it's, idiots it's funny how <laughs> these people have so much in common but they just have the the, the politics not in common right but the but the, right. the way they're going about doing things and they're accusing each other of the same things yet it, it, they, they don't have the the insight or they don't have the um the um What's the word I'm looking for? Um, they don't see themselves and other people. Like they don't have the ability to empathize on that level. So they don't realize that the people they're accusing are doing the same exact thing as they are because there's just an arrogance, a level of, 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 of narcissism in society right now. But Regardless, oh, yeah. oh the narcissism, man! Since since the invention of social media of uh, f- camera phones, because I'm not going to sit there and say iPhones, because other phones have got cameras on them. It's just ever since camera phones were invented, yeah, the yeah. narcissism has risen, you know, like a million percent. If you want to look at it that way, yeah, there's, it is, there, it's insane. There's all kinds of there's a discussion that we could have for hours on this because of studies that were yeah. done and actually studies that were dropped off the map because it was silenced because there was so much depression that was rising in teenagers that were using smartphones. But regardless, we're here to talk about metal. <laughs> so, um, we got a few more songs on this list. Um, so we, we got, through the occult let's go into um how should we describe this one uh more sexual song i guess eat me alive by judas priest um off of the defenders of the faith album one of my favorite priest albums i think it's a little bit underrated honestly um 
because it's every bit as good as some of the others, but it just kind of gets overlooked for what it is. But this particular song and a couple others, like I guess they missed what Jawbreaker was about. Um, <laughs> but uh, Eat Me Alive, you know, Rod of Steel, Grown in the Pleasure Zone, Oral Sex at Gunpoint, you know. Uh, I mean, or, Oral Sex at Gunpoint is let me let me rephrase that is is the thing that tipper gore said the song was about that's not true you know the 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 song is just more about kind of rough sex so what what did you think about it okay so if (laughs) if you're gonna pick one song that epitomizes everything that the prmrc was trying to do (laughs) this one kind of stands out says who picked <laughs> kind of yeah <laughs> you know i mean this one's not hiding anything and when you when you you and i both uh i don't know if you listened to rob's or read rob's book i listened to it i listened um, to it yeah i did, I did before okay, you did so, but uh right the the you know he he basically said that he was writing lyrics just to get shit out of his system and this was one of those things he needed to get out of his system so there was nothing that they were hi- that Rob was hiding in this particular song, um, but he did a great job of being able to play with the words to to make it what it was, you know. And look, like like I said, they this song screamed everything that the PMRC was was uh, crying about. But at the same time, I listened to this song for years. I kind of knew what Eat Me Alive meant. Well, not kind of. I knew what Eat Me Alive. It, it doesn't bother me. You know, I sang along. Eat Me Alive. It's fucking it just such a good song. Cool. God like, damn it. it. it yes. To me, like some of these songs, yes, there you you can analyze it and you can figure out what everything means, or you can just like you know sing along because it sounds badass. You know. <laughs> you know, exactly. like it, I never really thought about some like Jawbreaker. I didn't sit there and pick the song apart. But if you really listen to it, yeah, you can figure it out. But it also just sounds awesome. So yeah, I'm not, and I'm not. I never at any point, at any point, did I ever think about the sexual connotations and it being a homosexual song. Oh, it, but it doesn't even matter. It's not really. Yes, in his context, it is, but but exactly. the song has no lyrics that specifically say that whatsoever, or or exactly. even but point because to you that. know Rob is later. Yeah, but the, but right. the, again, it doesn't matter because Rob wrote songs that could ap- apply to anybody, or exactly. he you know spent songs. I mean, spent time writing songs about you know mythical heroes and stuff like that. If not that, so you know. Again, music is so up to interpretation, and we can take it at the the level that the writer of the song says, like exactly what their meaning is. But songs can have meaning to you as well, and so that's something that's really overlooked. And it's the same thing with poetry, right? Poetry. I remember being in school and arguing with a teacher I had that she was she was analyzing or we were analyzing poetry in the class and she was talking about the meaning behind it and and I and 
asking the class what it was and i said no well like this is what it means to me and they're like no this there's only one meaning no and everything is up to interpretation yes obviously the original writer can have something but it does not everything affects you in the same way just like if i watch a film or i read a book it may apply to me in a different way than it does to you and that's that's what's so crazy about this is that like they're trying to to censor these these songs and yes they may be about explicit content and stuff like that but certainly nothing compared to what we hear today and it it's up again up to a parent to decide what their kid is going to listen to and i know that's even up for debate today because uh, there's certain people that want their kid to to not have uh or their parents to not have influence on their children which is I don't know. Society is degrading. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I get what you're saying there. Um, you know, like I said, this is this song was was pretty pretty um, bullseye on the target for that one, and you know we can't we can't say one thing or another that they picked the wrong song <laughs> this <laughs> because one, they picked they picked the right this one. This one's pretty, but, you know, again, pretty much on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But again, like I said, you and I both had the same, same thing. We didn't care what the song was about. It was a cool song. And that's most of the time. What is the deal with, with most of this music? Very true. Um, okay. So that we, we have two songs left. Um, and so we're going to, the, the next one we're going to talk about is, um, Kind of the band that really was a big target for this and was one of the first artists to be uh, pointed or, or singled out. And this is um, the ever-famous Wasp, Animal, I Fuck Like a Beast. I don't see okay. how that could possibly upset them. I Neither do <laughs> I. And I, I'm thinking, you know, the, the copy I have didn't even have the, 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 the saw blade. <laughs> I had I had one that was just a clear cover and it was a gold record, literally that's all it was and it just said sticker animal fuck like a beast. Um, this this song, I tell you what, the fact that it was banned everywhere just gave me so much interest and in like I want to hear this because I had never heard it. I heard Wasp's first album, but I had not heard that song Animal. And when I finally heard it, I was like, "Ooh, this is a cool song," because it, it was a good song. Yeah, regardless of the lyrics, it still has a really good tune. It, it it's very like catchy, so mm-hmm. it, I mean it works. I I like yeah, it. Yeah, I mean it's got a great. I was riff. so glad we got to hear it live. <laughs> yes, we did finally. Um, got to see Wasp after forty something years. Um, it this song is is just one of those that it's. It it is catchy, like you said. It is got uh, a really cool melody, and you just—it's one of those things where you can't really say it out loud in some circumstances and situations. <laughs> but for the most part, it's a cool song. Um, I remember trying to get it. I, I remember the biggest thing about this song was cool. The, 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 I had mentioned before WXRK in New York City, where I where I lived at the time in the mid eighties um, had started a radio show called heavy metal from hell. It started, I believe at the end of 86 and I have the first ever um, show on audio. I, I actually transferred it over to a CD 
and the first song, so the, Mark Didia was the was the, the the disc jockey, the radio host, the radio show host, and he literally goes through the intro of the of the the show, and he goes, "We're going to start the show the way it was supposed to start, or the way it should start, something to that effect." And he throws this song on, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting 30, 45 seconds to get to that chorus. Is it going to play? Is it going to? Is he going to say fuck? He said fuck. Oh my god. You know, I couldn't believe it was being played on the radio. It was the coolest I mean, thing. It just excited you so much that you hit your mic stand. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, kicked, I, kicked, I kicked the uh, the table. Um, it's just, it was one of those things where I, I couldn't believe that there's that they were saying that on the air because I knew that that was a bad word that we weren't supposed to say on the radio. You know, and to get to hear it on the radio was pretty cool. So, but I, at that time I already had the record. Like I said, it was a gold. Uh, it's just weird. It was, you know, it's not, it were try, they weren't trying to represent a gold record per se, like a, an award. It was just happened to be, and it wasn't gold vinyl. It was like a, like a, a sheet of gold inside the vinyl mm, kind okay. of thing. Really weird. I got to pull it out and take a look at it and I'll show you um, about it. But anyway, um so i have it I, so i don't have the one with the 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 label uh or not the label i don't have the one with the album cover that has the the buzz saw the the saw blade i do have it on cd though but on vinyl i just have that gold one so for me this one was one that i i didn't hear until i want to say high school um i wasn't really aware of wasp until around that time and i remember hearing it and um just thinking it was really cool uh of course by that time i think i want to say i had it on a burn cd because um, i had the i had the main album um the original album and i had um what's the second album called jeez um inside the electric so service. I, no, no, the last, last command was the second the last command. So I had those two, but I, I didn't have that song, and I didn't know why I didn't have that song. So you had to find it in other ways. So um, yeah, it was it was really cool. I just I guess by that point I had heard other songs that had the same kind of content. So my the effect on me was a bit different, but. Um, yeah, regardless, I can definitely see why it was on the list and why it was targeted. I mean, the title was just begging to, to be targeted. So yeah, exactly. All right. I guess that leaves just one last song on our list. And I think this is a band that probably had the most, uh, effect on the PMRC due to the, the hearings and, and them, not really expecting a metalhead or a metal vocalist, a metal songwriter to have a brain in his head. And that was Twisted Sister. Uh, D. Snyder famously came in and was extremely professional, extremely respectful, and spoke eloquently at the hearing and really just destroyed everything they had to say. And it was incredible. If you haven't seen that... Uh, it's available on YouTube pretty much anywhere. Um, awesome. Awesome to see. And it's on a lot of metal documentaries too, because it's such a, it's such a win for the metal community. It was important. And it was, it was a huge moment for the metal community. And funny enough though, 
everybody was behind D, but nobody wanted to stand behind D. And so he he bit the bullet. Very similar to Lars Ulrich and Metallica when they had the whole Napster thing. Someone had to take the bullet. He decided to do it. So in D's case, he went to Washington and he spoke eloquently and he spoke intelligently and and he uh, astonished all these old farts in in the Senate and and just really or actually in Congress, you know, just the whole congressional hearing things was just it was for the most part a sham. I mean, they they brought in uh, John Denver because that was the other thing. John Denver was one of the people that were picked out because of, of Rocky Mountain High. And that's a, that was that was you know that was going to get labeled D slash A for drugs. See, and, and as a kid, yeah. I never would have equated it with drugs. Like I just thought it was like you know up in the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> like I really didn't exactly. think of it that way until I got older. And it, it's so funny how adults will push that on kids, thinking they think the same way, not realizing they're just innocent. So you're protecting the children from what? Exactly. So then, you know, then Frank Zappa, I don't even remember what song Frank Zappa was um, picked on for, but I'm pretty sure there's lots of them in his catalog. So he, you know, he spoke eloquently, but he, and he's extremely intelligent, but I think his intelligence was so far and above everybody else's in the room that everyone just, you know, everyone in Congress was kind of like just stupefied. <laughs> really, you know. And then D Snyder comes in and and lays out now he has that New York attitude. He had the New York accent. He tried to as to to, to downplay his accent as much as possible. Um because that was before his radio career took off. Um so it was it was awesome, you know. And the fact is, you know, the the one song that we're talking about is we're not going to take it that was off of the Stay Hungry album. That's you know they 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 misunderstood they misconstrued the, the the lyrics right and you know and then on top of that they threw in the video which was completely national lampoon meets the flintstones meets hanna barbera you know that type of thing and it's it was just cartoon it was real life turned in you know or cartoons turned into real life very tongue-in-cheek very silly exactly and you know of course, you know, it was very like, what, what does he say? It was Wiley Coyote versus, you know, the Roadrunner. And that was, you know, the, the main actor, I can't remember what his name is, um, trying to chase after the band and chase after the kids and all that stuff. It, it was just, it, it, it was one of those things that was so far out of the norm of reality that it made no sense. But it was fun. It was tongue in cheek, like you said. And, you, and it was, it's a song about you know essentially rebellion yes but here's the ironic part politicians use that song today <laughs> at every one of their freaking you know rallies i i mean come on <laughs> it's it's amazing to think about they use this song politicians and it was a politician's wife who was trying to get it banned or or you know s- stickered well, because they're going to do anything that, you know, gets them the vote, right? So they got to look cool. Exactly. And they're really losers, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so, um, I I mean, honestly, it's, it, it's really funny to think of now because we're not going to take it. It's just, 
to me, a silly, goofy metal song. I always think of 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 uh, Twisted Sister as being kind of like that really corny metal band. Yeah, they have some songs that are kind of tough sounding, and and D is is you know a, a tough dude, but at the same time, like the, their whole shtick was dressing like at like you know over the top drag queens right so Mm -hmm. and and that's what it was at the time like don't get mad at me for saying it that's what they were trying to look like so no absolutely you know it's it it's funny to me that 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 they got so bent out of shape about it and i just love again if you haven't seen the video of him talking to the pmrc it's amazing so definitely the to to me was was worthy of of being spoke about last in this list because uh d even my sister who's not a metalhead i remember watching a metal documentary and them talking about it and she was impressed by it so and she's a lawyer so yeah it's so hard to, to, to really point out I, I agree with you. You know, Twisted Sisters. There's a corniness to it. There's a there's a goofiness to it, um, and they're serious about it. But you know, they they went out of their way to make sure that this video was you know, and that, the video for we're not going to take it and the video for I want to rock. They're, they're companion videos. And, and maybe I'm not being a hundred percent clear. There is an intentional goofiness that they take seriously. It's hard to describe, right? It's mm-hmm. not like goofy right. like Steel Panther. You know where they're they're just trying to be jackasses all the time. It there there is a level of shtick to it that is still to be taken seriously. Like they stand behind what they do, and you can respect it. It's not just like being goofy. Absolutely, exactly. That that is exactly spot on at that point. All right. Well, that's the filthy fifteen. So, you know. There were a lot more songs than just these fifteen that were that were pointed at and 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 picked on by the the PMRC. It is it was these that were made the the made the, the big fifteen the, the final list, and it you can see from what we've talked about with the songs that there is definitely something to what they were trying to uh, point out, but what was the point of pointing it out if no one was really paying attention for the most part? You know what I'm saying? All they did was bring more attention to it. Exactly. All they did was bring more attention. Now this, you know, and the stickers on the albums just made the albums, you know, for some artists, they they went from being underground to platinum artists overnight. I mean, that's insane to think about. You know, rappers, you know, you had you had all the, the nice... Uh, hip hop rappers from the eighties that were, you know, or, or the early eighties that were doing, you know, street songs like Run DMC and and the Sugar Hill Gang and LL Cool J, and then all of a sudden, you know, this group out of LA, out of Compton, known as NWA, they went way off the deep end, and as soon as that album got a sticker on it. There you go. Now they're a platinum seller. Why? Because you brought attention to it. Somebody brought attention to it. And if if they don't bring attention to it, they probably stay underground for at least another couple of years. Maybe maybe less. But who knows? It that's that's the way history was written and and we can't change it. Or can we? 
No, we can't. No, um. no, no we can't. <laughs> All right, so that leads us now to our big four for the evening. And so we're finally going to address it. This is the last episode of 2022. So, you know, we're not good at paying attention to all the albums that come out all year long. We're not good at sitting there saying, oh, that album from January 15th that was released, that's one of the best albums of the year. You know what? No. It's it. There's there's so much music t- that comes out during the year. I can go down the entire list and say, "Ooh, this is a good album. This is a good album. This is a good album." Right? There's probably twenty good albums, maybe more. Um, but we basically broke it down to our favorite four albums that came out this year. And um, so I'm gonna go ahead and go first, since uh, I think you went first last time for both things. I'm gonna go ahead and go first this time. So, um, so my big four albums of 2022, number four for me is Amon Amarth's The Great Heathen Army. Um, the song that takes it for me on this album is, um, uh, Vikings and Zaxons or Zaxons and Vikings. I can't remember how, which way it goes. That's how great, you know, that's how much I love the song. <laughs> it's Vikings, Zaxons. It's a, it's a duet with Biff Byford from Zaxon along with Johan from, uh, Amon and Marth, and it's a super cool song, and it's just one of those things that it was almost kind of like this has been waiting. This should have happened years ago, but it's it happened now. So that's a really good album. Anyway, song. Uh, excuse me. Album number three. Um, this is a different one, and you're gonna be surprised by this one from me. Um, but I've listened to it a few times. I really, really like it, and it's one of those things that that it actually inspired. Um, the band that these guys are former members of to kind of change a little bit of their sound uh, heading into 2022 and 2023. Um, Number three for me is The Halo Effect and Days of the Lost. Um, Former members of In Flames. This album sounds like it could be an In Flames album and it so much so that it inspired In Flames to basically kind of change their sound to sound like they used to sound back in the day. (laughs) It's a lot of sound. (laughs) All right, number two for me is Alter Bridge and their new album, Pawns and Kings. Um, It's just, it kind of goes back to their Fortress days. Um, Just really good tunes, really heavy. Uh, You know, I think there was a little bit of experimentation during Walking the Sky or Walk the Sky that kind of just left fans a little bit on the outside, but this one kind of brings them all back in again. And number one album for me for this year uh, is Megadeth, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead. Um, they released three singles prior to the album being released, three videos. All three were excellent songs. You listen to the rest of the album, there are some really good tunes on there. And uh, it is Dave Mustaine at his finest. One of the tunes on there they describe as being one of the fastest Megadeth songs that they have released or that Dave has released. So it's a pretty good album. What do you got for your big four? I like your list, and we do have a little bit of crossover, uh, but not 100%. Um, And I do have an honorable mention, and I don't normally do this, but I wanted to to mention this one. But but because it's a re-recording of previous songs, um, I didn't want to count it as one of my big four. But I really enjoyed Liberate the Inborn Humanity from uh, Moore's Principium Est. Uh, Basically, at one point... Andy Gillian had joined the band and replaced a lot of the original members. Now the original members are all kind of back together and have, have reformed the band. And, uh, they re-recorded some songs off their first three albums. And 
it sounds great. I really like it, uh, but I didn't want to include it in my big four because it's not new material per se. Um, so um, my number four, though, is Hate Uber Alice from, uh, from Creator. And uh, this is one that I really enjoyed. There's a couple songs that I thought were a little bit of a miss for me. Um, they had a, a female vocalist come in and do some some um, clean vocals on one of the songs, and I didn't really care for that. Uh, but overall, I really did like the album. I love Creator. Have been a fan of them for a very long time, and it was nice to hear uh, a new album, and it sounded great. So, um, but it just wasn't strong enough for it to be my number you know, be any higher than number four for me on this one. Uh, my number three is one we haven't really talked about much this year, but I really like the album. It's uh, circus of doom from battle beast. Um, as you know, and we've in discussed in the past, uh, I'm a big fan of beast of black beast of black was a band that was formed out of, uh, battle beast because, um, they kind of split ways with their guitarist and, and he was, you know, pretty much the driving force of the band. Um, but Nora, the singer from Battle Beast, is incredible in this particular album. She sounds even better than ever. And I I was glad to hear this album because I felt like they kind of veered off track for me for a bit, but this album was great. So uh, my number two, what you had on your list, and I don't remember which number, uh, but it's The Halo Effect with Days of the Lost. Um, I'm a, I was a huge fan of in flames for their first few albums up until Clayman. Um, there's some material that I do like after Clayman, uh, but my fandom of the band really dropped off after that point because they, they very much changed their style. And like you said, um, the the stuff that Halo Effect is doing, and they're all old members of Inflames from various eras, including Jesper Stromblad, which was the guy who started the band. Um, you know, it's Inflames has kind of diverged from the path that they were going down, and is sounding a bit more like they used to, which is cool. Um, still not a hundred percent to where they were before and that's fine because people evolve and change if you like it you like it if you don't you don't but days of the lost i thought was really fun uh not the best album i've ever heard by any means um but it was a really nice return to form it was nice to hear these guys kind of get back into music again because three out of five of them had retired for the most part uh they were all doing different things uh two of them own a, a brewery or something uh or maybe it's just a bar i I th no, they're brewers. So, um, and then one of the guys had uh, Jesper had dealt with some alcohol addiction problems, and he's still, you know, in the process of dealing with all that, and doesn't play every show with them. Uh, but it's it's nice to see them kind of get back on track and and do something that they feel passionate about, and that's that's you can feel that passion in this album. And my number one was your number one. Uh, which is Megadeth's The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead. Um, after Dystopia, Dystopia, man, it's up there as one of my favorite Megadeth albums, surprisingly. Uh, but I absolutely love Dystopia. And I was, you know, you're always a little bit apprehensive, I think, in some regard, whenever the next album's coming out. Is it going to be as good? Is it going to be... And no, to me, it's not 100% as good as Dystopia, but all th like you said, all three of their their releases before the album came out were absolutely fantastic. I don't usually like rap 
rock combos. Um, there's always exceptions to that, like Rage Against the Machine. Um, but having Ice-T on, on one of the tracks I thought was awesome. It sounded great. Um, but it wasn't just the singles. It was it was all of the, the deeper cuts, all of the stuff that was released on the album that wasn't a single that I thought was absolutely fantastic. I love the meshing of 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 the band members at this point they really finding their groove together you know obviously there's that uh you know issue that they had with david ellison and and him being um you know kicked out of the band and then the parts re-recorded uh that's really too bad obviously there's there's always going to be that drama behind it um but it is what it is the album still sounds great uh they they you know re-recorded the bass and it sounds fantastic Everything about the album is really good, and if you haven't listened to it, give it a listen. Uh, I love me some Megadeth. <laughs> yeah, no, Dave, the album's de- it's definitely a notch down from Dystopia, but it's still but not much. Dystopia's yeah. exactly it was so up there that that this one's pretty pretty damn good album. All right, well, that is our big four albums for 2022, and this is the end of the episode, and that is, or this is, excuse me, (laughs) and this is the last show we have for you this year. So you should know the drill, click like or subscribe, or just download the show to your favorite device and press play. And don't forget to leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. YouTube viewers, click subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when a new episode is posted. So tune in next year as we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, have a happy new year, stay safe, and always turn it up to 11. Happy new year. See ya.